Let's pray. I ask, Father, that you would do a new work in each of our hearts, that we would see and understand and feel the amazing truth of Jesus' resurrection like we never have before, that some who have never considered the truth of your resurrection, Jesus, would come to faith today, that that others who, who have been trusting you would be strengthened and that we would all be caught up in the wonder of what happened 2,000 years ago. Help me pour out your spirit upon us now. Do a deep and a new work in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, Christians believe that 2,000 years ago, on Good Friday, over in Palestine, Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross, and he suffered, and then he was buried in a tomb, a stone was rolled over it, and then Christians believe that Sunday morning, something astonishing happened, that Jesus rose from the dead. Not just symbolically, not just his spirit, but really, literally, bodily, physically, Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. That's what followers of Jesus believe. Now, why do we believe that? I mean, why would we believe that? And a lot of people think that faith means believing something for no reason. Not needing reasons. That if you need reasons, then it's not real faith. Lots of people believe that. You might believe that. And so when it comes to the resurrection, what that would mean is that we're supposed to believe it without needing any reasons. Is that true? Is that what faith means? Believing something for no evidence, no reasons. And the answer is no. That is not what this Bible teaches. That is not what Jesus taught. And I want to show you that today from John chapter 20. So let's go ahead and turn there. John chapter 20. And if you need a Bible, we'd like to bring one to you so that you can look on with us. We are passionate about studying the scriptures here at Mercy Hill Church. And so we're going to be going through all of John chapter 20 this morning. We'd like you to follow along with us. And in the Bibles we're passing out, John 20 is on page 906. Now John, remember he was a fisherman. Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. He was an apostle. And he wrote this gospel. John was an eyewitness of what Jesus did, taught, what took place. John was an eyewitness and he wrote this whole book. And he especially wrote chapter 20 to show us how the disciples moved from not believing that Jesus rose from the dead to being persuaded that he did rise from the dead and to show us how we today, 2,000 years later, can believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's John's purpose in writing this powerful chapter. But now before we we look at why, I want to set the stage by asking the question, what difference would it make if Jesus rose from the dead or not? That is, what's at stake here? Why is this so important to us? 
And in chapter 20, there's three words that all have the letter F in them. And so, young, young people, you've got those little coloring books. So in that coloring book, write down each of these three words. And then I want you to quiz your parents this afternoon to see if they got them. Okay, so here's three words that tell us what difference it makes that Jesus rose from the dead. The first word is forgiveness. Look at verse 23. A little hard to understand this verse, I'll explain it. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, now Jesus is not saying that it's the disciples who decide who gets to be forgiven or who who doesn't get to be forgiven. It's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, If I've risen from the dead, or because I rose from the dead, my resurrection proves that my death accomplished what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do through dying. Namely, paying for the guilt of sins. And so because I rose from the dead, it proves that my death paid for sin's guilt, which means, then disciples, that as you go out into the world and as you tell people that Jesus died to pay for our sins, and as people come to faith in Jesus Christ, you can tell them, you've been forgiven! Because you're trusting Jesus Christ. And those who don't turn to trust Jesus Christ will not be forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying here. But so what this means is that if Jesus rose from the dead, then that proves that his death accomplished what the Old Testament said it would accomplish, which means that through Jesus' death, you can have all of your sins forgiven. All your past sins All your present sins, all your future sins, all of them can be forgiven between you and God. So God is looking upon you with pleasure and love and forgiveness and acceptance. That is awesome. I will never forget the first time when I felt guilt, the guilt I had between me and God, felt that guilt lift off of me and felt the love and forgiveness of God come upon me. It was 1972. I was a senior in high school, and it was powerful. It changed my life. So forgiveness is the first word. Young people, you all got that one written down? Okay, very important. Forgiveness. What's the first word? Forgiveness. second word is Father. Look at verse 7. Here Jesus is talking to Mary. Just like we saw in the video. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Because we've got things to do here, okay? All right? Namely, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. So if Jesus rose from the dead then that proves that his death was not the death of any ordinary man, not the death of any criminal, but it proves that his death was the death of the Messiah. With the Old Testament, it prophesied, just like you would sacrifice a lamb in the Old Testament, part of the Jewish culture. Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God. Or John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so because Jesus rose from the dead, it proves that his death paid for our sins, which means now God, instead of being your judge, can be your father. So when you look up and you think of God looking upon you, he's looking upon you with a father's heart of love and affection and compassion and care. As father, he's committed, he's promised to guide you. He's promised to provide for you. He's promised to comfort you. He's promised to strengthen you. 
He's promised to fill you, to satisfy you. All the things we love fathers to do, God is the perfect father. No other father comes close. He's the perfect father. And so because there's forgiveness is the first word, then the second word is true, father. One last word. It doesn't start with F, but an F is in there. So it's, this works, okay? It's the word life. L-I-F-E. So young people, write that one down. We've got forgiveness. We've got father. We've got life. Look at verse 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Resurrection's all tied up in that. So you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Life in his name. We all want life. We're all looking for life. Okay, we want joy, we want meaning, we want purpose, we want significance, we want our hearts to be filled, we want energy, we want passion, we want life. And so we're looking for life in you know, travel, and in working hard, and in career, and in sex, and in food, and in money, and right, just the list just goes on and on and on, right? None of those things will give you life. You know, it hasn't happened yet, right? It's not going to happen. None of those things will give you life. The life that you're looking for is found in one place and one place only. It's in knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. When you have your sins forgiven through trusting Jesus, and when, as a result of that, God becomes not your judge anymore, but now your Father, and you feel the joy of His love, the nearness of God in the person of Jesus filling your soul, then you will have life. And so that's why the resurrection is so crucial. Here's what's at stake in whether Jesus did or did not rise from the dead. It's forgiveness, being forgiven for your sins. It's Father, knowing God no longer is your judge, but now is your Father. And it's life, the life that you crave, the life that you're looking for, which is found in knowing God in the person of Jesus. So did Jesus rise from the dead? Do you have reason to believe that? Are you supposed to close your eyes and just say, I believe? Does Jesus want us to believe for reasons, for evidence? And the answer is absolutely, and that's why John wrote this chapter. I've never seen this before. But in this chapter, what John does is he describes what brought the disciples to move from not believing that Jesus rose from the dead to believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's take a look. John starts with himself, the author. Why did John come to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? This is in verses 1 through 10. Start with verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, rolled away. So she knew something was wrong. So she ran. And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, that's how John describes himself oftentimes in his gospel, as the the disciple whom Jesus loved. And said to them, so Mary said to Simon and to John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now notice, when Mary saw that the stone had been rolled away, her first thought was not, Jesus rose. She did not believe that. Her first thought was, somebody's taken the body. 
Somebody's taken the body. So she told that to Peter and John, and here's what they did in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, okay, so this is John, he saw the linen cloths. This is the the linen wrappings that they would use to wrap up a body, kind of like a mummy, kind of wrap it all up. So John saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and, you know, Peter, he's always the presumptuous one, maybe. He went into the tomb, verse 6. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and he saw the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, this was shocking to them. Because if you were going to move a body, you would not unwrap the body. Right? You would not unwrap the body. If you're going to move the body, you'd move it wrapped up, please. Okay, that's what you would do if you were going to move a body. So this shows that no one had taken the body. But the body wasn't there. What had happened? Jesus had risen from the dead and carefully folded up the head cloth. So look at how John responds, verse 8. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So they they hadn't gotten it yet. Jesus told them, I'm going to rise from the dead. He showed them from the scriptures that he's going to rise from the dead. They hadn't gotten it yet. They didn't believe that. But now John did believe. Why? Why? Because he saw the empty tomb and because he saw the linen wrappings and he saw the head covering folded up there. No one stole the body. This body got up and left on its own. That's how John came to believe. Then John tells us how Mary came to believe. Okay? Remember Mary, when she saw that the stone had been rolled away, she didn't think Jesus rose. She thought somebody stole the body. So after Peter and John left, Mary came to the tomb, and look at what happens in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Okay, she's weeping. Heartbreaking. Crucifixion. Dead. Buried. Her Lord, her Savior's gone. Dead. She stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. There would have been a stone platform inside the tomb, so one at each end. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. My, my thought was that's probably because she couldn't see him through her tears. But I think Jan had the much better answer for that. And she wasn't expecting to see Jesus was dead. She wasn't expecting to see Jesus. So she didn't recognize Jesus. At least not at that point. But look what happens next. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away... Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. I'll I'll take care of the burial. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher, teacher. (laughs) So up to that point, she thought he was dead. Body, buried, stolen, moved. Now she sees he is alive in front of her. Changes everything. I was just thinking this morning during worship, imagine Jesus' face. Imagine that crucifixion, it's over. Eternity with the Father and the Spirit and the redeemed awaits. Imagine Jesus' expression. Mary. Mary. And she saw him. And so she fell down and clung to his feet. And he says something that's a little bit hard to understand. I'll try to explain it. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, he's not being hard or abrasive. She's clinging to him like, like he's going somewhere. And she's, he's saying, Mary, stop clinging to me. we got stuff to do now. Okay, you got a job. All right, you got a job. Here's your job. He's saying, I've not yet ascended to the Father. I'm not going anywhere for a little while here, at least 40 more days, okay? So we got stuff to do. So you, Mary, go to my brothers. My brothers, I love my brothers. And say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God who's now your God, your Father, your God, because of my death on the cross. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. So why did Mary believe? Beginning of the story, she didn't believe, right? End of the story, she believed. What happened? She saw Jesus. She saw him. And she believed. So John starts with John. Then he goes to Mary. Next he goes to the other disciples except for Thomas. We're going to get to Thomas in a moment here. But first, the other disciples, except for Thomas, start with verse 19. On the evening of that day, so this is Sunday night, the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, what did he do next? He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus offers them evidence, offers them reason. He says, peace be with you. He says, men, look at my hands. Look. Okay? Matthew, look. James, look. Men, look. Look at my side. Spear, scarred, Side, nail pierced hands, spear scarred side. Men, look! And they saw his hands, and they saw his side, and they knew they were seeing the Lord. And and they they believed. Verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, okay, we got, got, got a job to do, we got a mission to do. I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that's a symbolic enactment of what he will do on the day of Pentecost when he pours the Holy Spirit out upon them. And here's the commission to go and preach. Verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, that is, you preach Jesus' death, people come to faith and you speak forgiveness over them, you're forgiven through faith in Christ, they are forgiven them. 
if you withhold forgiveness from any because they don't trust, you say, well, then I'm afraid you're not forgiven. It is withheld. So Jesus commissions them, gives them a picture of how he'll pour the Spirit out upon them, and he sends them out with the message of forgiveness. So why did the other disciples except Thomas believe? Because they saw nail-pierced hands, spear-scarred side, and they believed. Hey, fourth, how about Thomas? Why did Thomas believe? Verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, Thomas! Thomas, we've seen the Lord! But he said to them, I don't know why, heartbroken, I'm not going to be taken in again. Who knows? John doesn't tell us why. But here's what he says, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and not just see, but place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his scarred side, I will never believe. Now Jesus knew Thomas had said that. He wasn't there, but he knew. So what did Jesus do? Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then Thomas, he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus wanted Thomas to believe, right? Didn't rebuke him, just wanted him to believe. And so he invites Thomas, touch my hands. You said he needed a touch. I heard you eight days ago. I heard that, okay? You said he needed a touch. Here, touch. Here's my side. Touch it. Feel it. And how does Thomas respond? Verse 28. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Don't you love that? So that's how Thomas came to believe. And then Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so why did Thomas believe? It's because he touched Jesus' nail-scarred hands and spear-scarred side. But in this chapter, there's one more group of people that John wants to talk to, and it's the rest of us, who have not seen, have not been able to touch. Why would we believe? Look at what he says in verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs, besides these, in the presence of the disciples, many other signs which are not written in this book. So there's lots and lots of miracles that Jesus did which are not in John's gospel. But John says, these are written so that you may believe. So that you may join John. So that you may join Mary. So that you may join all the rest of the disciples except Thomas. So you may join Thomas. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, so Jesus did a lot of other signs which weren't in John's gospel, and he did, but, but there were signs that John did write in his gospel. Okay, even before chapter 20, like Jesus turning 180 gallons of water into the best wine at the wedding, John chapter 2. And like Jesus healing a man blind from birth, John chapter 9. And Jesus raising dead Lazarus from the dead. So many other signs that Jesus did write about, but included in that these are written is these signs in chapter 20. The empty tomb. 
the linen wrappings left, the head covering folded and left there. Seeing Jesus, who had been crucified and dead, seeing him alive, touching him who was now alive. So see, that's why we should believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's because John, Mary, the disciples, they were eyewitnesses. And John wrote this. John had seen all of this happen with his own eyes. And he wrote down what had happened, what he'd seen happen with his own eyes. He wrote it down so that we could see for ourselves. We could read, understand what this eyewitness John, and so that we too could believe. So this book that you're holding in your hands, John's Gospel, I mean the whole Bible is God's Word, but we're talking about John's Gospel, chapter 20. John wrote this book so that you who weren't able to see or touch Jesus 2,000 years ago could read eyewitness account of John from those who did see and touch Jesus so that you can believe. So what does this mean for us? It means Jesus rose from the dead. It means he rose from the dead. You need to believe that. Not as a, a leap of you know, gullibility, not, a, not a, a leap of you know, naivety, but a sober-minded weighing of a historical document and the signs and the evidences that John saw, that Mary saw, that the other disciples except Thomas saw, that Thomas touched sober-minded assessment of a historical document which John wrote so that those who live years later would be able to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus wants you to believe. Not a blind leap of irrationality, but a sober weighing of the evidence so that you can see that John saw the empty tomb with the grave closed. That body was not moved by anybody else. Mary saw Jesus standing before her. She had not believed. And then she saw him and believed. The other disciples seeing Thomas touching. Jesus rose from the dead. I want to urge you to, 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 to see this. Now, this may be, maybe this is a brand new thought for you. You may need some more time to process it. We're cool with that. Okay? But just keep processing it. Okay? Don't let up. Because what's at stake here and you trusting Jesus Christ as your resurrected Savior, what's at stake here is your forgiveness. You, you need to be forgiven. I've turned my back on God thousands and thousands of times. I have needed to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. You can be forgiven. The resurrection proves that Jesus' death 2,000 years ago was the death of the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament. All we like sheep have gone astray, Isaiah 53.10. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord God has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all and punished him in our place. So you need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead so that you can be forgiven, so that God can move from being your judge to being your father, so that you can then experience the life that comes from knowing him. So here's my encouragement to you. Some of you have been trusting Jesus. So glad. This morning, I want to just encourage you to trust him more. Just take all of this evidence and let that strengthen your assurance that you have been forgiven. His resurrection proves what his death accomplished. Let that strengthen your assurance that you've been forgiven. Let it strengthen your pursuit of him and your experience of him and your trust in him as your father. He will guide you. He will provide for you. He will strengthen you. He will help you. Trust him as your father. 
And then stop pursuing your life in other things. Key is your life. Get back on track this morning. Get back on track this morning. There's life nowhere else. You know. You know. There's life nowhere else. Trust Jesus Christ. Seek Jesus Christ to be your life. And others of you have never trusted Jesus. Okay. So glad you're here. You've heard the evidence this morning. Okay, you've heard the evidence. You have every reason to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Every reason to believe it. And so if this morning you will turn and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, whose death paid for your sins, trust Him as your Lord, you want to submit and surrender your life to Him as your authority, and you want to trust Him as your all-satisfying treasure, I'm going, to, I'm going to turn from the other things I used to seek for my life, and I'm going to seek you as my life. If you'll trust Jesus Christ, you'll be forgiven. God will become your Father right now, this moment, and you'll taste the life that He wants you to have. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for your power to be strong in our midst right now. Bring your power right now. Save people right now. Change hearts right now, I pray. And if this morning you want to put your trust in Jesus, and just keep your head, everybody's heads bowed, I, I just want to pray in your heart um, this prayer. If this is what you mean, pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead and proving what your death accomplished. I see the evidence. I believe, help my unbelief. I turn to trust you now, Jesus, as my Savior. I can't make myself good enough to be accepted by you. You tell me not to try to do that. You tell me to trust your death to pay for my sins. So I trust you as my Savior now. I trust you, Jesus, as my Lord. I want to surrender my life, every part of it, completely to you right now. Take me, guide me, change me, help me. And I want to trust you as my all-satisfying treasure. I see there is life nowhere else. Life is in you. Pour your life into me now. I trust your life. So, Lord, I pray for those who've who've prayed that prayer right now. Would you pour your life into their hearts right now, I pray, for the glory of your name. And then, Lord, for those who came here this morning already trusting you, would you strengthen them right now? Strengthen them in their assurance that because of your death and your resurrection and because they're trusting you, they are completely forgiven. Strengthen them in their confidence that you are their loving Father. You're not looking upon them as judge, but as Father. You love them. You care. You have compassion and affection. You will guide. You will provide. You will comfort. You will strengthen. Strengthen their trust in you for that. Lord, strengthen them now to, to stop seeking life in other things, but to seek life in you, which is where life is to be found. So do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying and rising. 
thank you for what you've done here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.